Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight, where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This is a Small Bites episode where we chat about the small and big things that make a great hospitality venue. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Small Bites episode of the Food Fight Podcast with me, your host... Stefan Postumagrbich, alongside full name, full name yourself. <laughs> that's it. That's my full name. Alo- alongside Simon Evans, Simon Martin Evans, Simon Martin Evans. Mm, Is that yeah. your middle name, Martin? Yeah. yeah. Like Brian Martin or Martin Freeman? Um, two favourites. M A R T A N. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was named after Brian Martin. Chris Martin, the good Chris uh, Martin. Yeah. The Col- good Col- New Col- Zealand play. New Zealand bowler. Oh. Anyway. Oh, not Coldplay. The, yeah. yeah There's another Chris Martin. That's just, I assume that was the one you meant. No, no, no. I, I'm talking about Kiwi, Kiwi bowler. bowlers. He's but, the worst batsman in, in cricket right. cricket history. Fast bowler? Yeah, pace bowler. Yeah, right. All right. Um, this is all well and good. I mean, the, the name Martin and my name. But uh, we're really not getting anywhere yet, Simon. So why don't no. we get stuck into this Small Bites episode? Mm. We decided we'll talk about what makes a good restaurant, cafe or bar because... You said the word intangible before when we were talking about it. Yeah, and uh, I think that's a that's a good one. So I mean, let's start with restaurants, and once we get going, you know us, we'll just talk about it. Mm. What makes a good restaurant? I think you should sort of just start with the maybe the obvious stuff, and then get a bit more specific, like your, your the quality of your product and your staff make a good venue. Yes, across the board. Yes. That's kind of a given. Um, so I think it's more those those little things um, that that take something from just being like it's good food to being like it's a great it's a great restaurant or a great you know it's good coffee to a great cafe. Mm. Um, and like yeah, there's, there's kind of just lots of little things. Like for me, the 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 kind of the the general vibe of a place again, quite an intangible thing. How do you measure vibe? Um, and also that that initial interaction you have with staff is is really key. Mm. Um, whether, whether it's just like because some places like you can walk in 
and they don't even really acknowledge you. Yeah. And I think that's just it's such a small little thing, um, especially if you're going into like a, a bar you haven't been into before, um, a cafe you haven't been into before, and you're kind of trying to suss it out. If someone that you just says like, "Hi," I'll be with and, you in a second, and or smiles whatever, at like, you, yeah, like that that just goes a long way. Yeah. And it, it's it's little things like that. I used to get so frustrated at this place that I I, I was front of house manager for a little while um and yeah like you try to teach people who i mean and you can't really blame young people who are quite inexperienced in hospitality but like just there were there were two different entrances to the venue Mm. which always makes it difficult to figure out how you greet people and things like that especially when you're busy but um just teaching people to just if there's someone that's standing around that looks like they're lost, yeah, you have to go talk to them, yeah, and and say hi, like, can I help you? Um, I'll be with you in a minute, you know, if you if mm. you if you just clear the table or whatever it might be, but um, making people feel as if they're recognised as soon as they enter surely is like one of the most important things off the bat. Yeah, I mean it's the. The first impressions go a long way. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's like nothing more shitty than like that awkward thing where you kind of step into a restaurant. Um, again, you don't quite know if, oh, like, am I waiting to be seated? Do I go up to the thing? Do I go, do I go up to a counter and, and sort someone? Like, and that little kind of second before someone does uh, say something it can be just really awkward and weird. Yeah. When you're sort of standing around, you're like, oh, what do we do here? Isn't it funny though that, like, I mean, you might go to a restaurant and spend um, whatever. Like you might go to a restaurant and spend $100 each on food. And the expectation of service, I mean, and it is called hospitality and you do pay for service in a sense. But it's just weird how that doesn't translate in any other industries. So like you can be paying your bank in mm. in the mortgage that you're paying off or... You can be paying your, um, you know, you could even be going to Bunnings or something like that and spending way more than a hundred yeah. bucks on a meal, but the service that you get is just absolute shit. Like, yeah, with a bank, like all you want sometimes is just to find someone on the phone to ask a question to, and it'll take you like forty-five oh. minutes of yeah. being on hold. And then, if you want to go to Bunnings and buy something and find the right thing, like there might be someone who greets you at the door. But then you just cannot find yeah. one person in the whole thing to to give you a hand. I mean, all the Bunning staff are pretty legit. They're like, you're like, oh, where's this uh, weird thing I need? And they're like, oh, four down left. Yeah, they're good at that. Thing. Like, I just always, find always it hard to find the actual staff member sometimes. Well, yeah, yeah, you have to wander around a bit. Yeah, yeah, and it's just I don't know. Bunnings is a funny place. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. The hospitality, not Bunnings. Mm. But yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. There's just this weird sort of expectation. And it is hospitality and you are paying for the service. But like, isn't it funny that we, we talk about how if you don't acknowledge someone in the first, you know, 20 seconds of them arriving at your venue, yeah. like you've almost like, you know, you've, you've almost fucked up your first impression. <laughs> the, the, the flip side for me is I very much expect someone to do that in a hospitality venue, but I fucking hate it in retail. Yeah, when that's someone's true standing too. by the door and's like, "Hey, how are you?" And like, "Fuck off!" Yeah, can I, and, <laughs> like, or like you're like browsing for just a yeah. minute, and they're like, like, "Can I help you with yeah, something?" Yeah, yeah, like, and I'm like, "Leave me be." I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I'm yeah, um, failed to that kind of double standard yeah, as well. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, but yeah, I think that goes a long way. And I think that the 
it's something you notice in the better venues straight away whether it's a bar cafe restaurant um deli but what like like how do you this is the intangible part it's like because when it comes to service and it depends on what type of venue you're at there's like this sort of this perfect balance of casual but professional and familiar but also you know like that sort of professional professionalism as well it's like you can't be too casual and you can't be too familiar and but you have to have a bit of that in there in order to be I don't know I don't know it's It's, really hard to train people to do I think you have to pick the right people some people are just Mm. just kind of better at that in their own personality well that's it people are uh, but it people are themselves yeah it also comes from the train there's one thing we we spoke a lot about when we first took over Caveau because the 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 service was very formal before we took over um, to the point of it was you know it was was sir and madame and and, and, and was it yeah yeah and, and, and you know Hand behind That's your so back. old school and, oh, now. Yeah, eh? yeah, it was very hand old behind school. the back. Yeah, and like just l- little things like that, that. What's the that, uh, what's the old towel like tea towel over the yeah, front of the forearm yeah, situation? I mean, yeah, I, is I, that a thing? Like, what yeah, is it's, that? it's kind of, I'm not even sure like what that's about. Like, you kind of I mean you always have a tea towel on you, and like sommeliers, like you, you kind of uh, the, the proper way of, of doing wine is you. You, you take the, the foil off and you wipe it with a cloth take the, take the cork out you wipe it down with a cloth again and then you use the cloth to, to catch any drips from the wine so there's what, kind of a what's that that thing of uh, like wrapping the bottle in a cloth and then pouring it while yeah, you hold the cloth there's a lot of old school ceremony um, and the ways thing you do and there was, there was a lot of that and we, we wanted to get rid of that um, it was becoming it is becoming more and more old school and it's just it's just kind of pointless pomp. Did you? I'm gonna keep going on because I found I find this stuff weird and yeah. interesting. But have you ever seen? I've been watching. You know, like you get these odd things pop up on Facebook or whatever, where like they use like they heat up this steel thing in order to open up a, a bottle uh, of port. Where yeah, they like there, there is some reason behind that. So the so, sediment doesn't. So yeah, I mean like port and Madeira and things like that. Oh, the they, cork. They can be. Like they age for like you can have hundred year old yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Madeira and port and, and they'll be like finer drinks so <coughs> um, when the wine's that old the cork can be right. fucked so it's very hard to get that cork out so by just literally snapping the neck off you don't have to do it so yeah, there is okay. there is reason behind it I understand that um, yeah. I mean if you're doing it to a young a young bottle of port it would be very pointless and only ceremonial yeah um, so. Yeah, there's, just, there's lots of shit like that. Um, so we wanted to get rid of a lot of that. But then also we were aware that there is still a group of customers who, who like that level of attentiveness and want to be kind of treated when they're out on a night out. Um, generalization, but normally more of an older crowd. Yeah. I was actually talking about this the other day about kind of why that was. Why younger people prefer this more casual, friendly um, kind of style of service whereas older people want that kind of special treat feeling and I think it kind of comes down to the fact that going out to a restaurant like quite often and regularly is, is quite a recent thing yeah like in the 80s it was it, it, and I mean the affordability of restaurants has changed a lot in the 80s it was a lot more expensive to dine out and it was very much for that treat so people would save up for quite a while to go to their local their local restaurant like you know the charcoal tavern in Wollongong back in the day, and because they saved up and spent that money, and it was 
seen as more of a rich person thing. I guess they probably they wanted to be treated that way. Yeah. And there might just be a kind of residual knock-on from that. It's there must speculating, be. Speculating. But yeah. um, it kind of seems to add up. Whereas yeah, for, sure. for younger people, we've been used to going out to restaurants once a week. This you know, more casual, cheaper vibe. And we don't feel that we, we need that, that ceremony, that pomp. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the same when it comes to cafes. Like yeah. the amount of t- the amount that people <coughs> go out and spend money on coffee and breakfast now is is out of control yeah, compared and, and, to what and, it used to be. I mean, every day for or every yeah. weekday for some people, or you know, every weekend yeah. even. Um, yeah, just 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 the thoughts that keep me awake at night. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think in terms of like we'll go we'll try to get back to what makes a good venue? Mm. We talked a little bit about sort of service style and how to get that right. Well, I mean, the, po- the point that I went off and was trying to make um, was that we knew kind of for every thing we relaxed and made more friendly and casual, we kind of needed to up something somewhere else. And that generally was the knowledge um, of our staff. So as if, you know, if we stop doing this little thing, they need to have that extra layer of knowledge about the food, about the wine, um, that extra kind of confidence. I think that's the only way to allow your staff to kind of be themselves to a to a certain degree, and have that kind of more natural, flowy uh, personability. Mm. Um, and then the other thing we we kind of obviously hired people we liked and thought were would you know, would be good people to have, and we tried to let a bit of their personality come out within the confines of the knowledge and the style of our service. And I think that that helped. Um, our staff be more um, relaxed mm. rather than being like telling them you have to act this way and then it's going to be stifled and fake and false well that's a, like I guess one of the tough things as well is training staff to exercise judgement in how much they think a table wants to be interacted with yeah. or spoken to yeah. because there are some people that you literally they literally just want you to put the dish in front of them and say that's the chicken and then put the dish in front of the other person and say, that's the fish. Yeah. Not go like, so we've got the chicken that's been poached. Like, there's people that just don't want a bar of it. I mean, they just want to eat their food. And th- that's a tough one. Um, and sometimes you can kind of get it wrong. Sometimes people can be quite quiet to start. So you do start to like pull back on your descriptions and speed them up so they can get on. And then halfway through the meal, maybe after a glass of wine or two, they'll suddenly become more interested. And you're like, oh, shit, I've been kind of shortchanging them a bit. So you kind of try to try and compensate. So, mm. but like it is just it is certain people are better at reading, you know, social cues, social situations, and it's, I guess it's trying to bring that out of people and train people. But again, it's very in- intangible, and as a customer, you don't really notice when it's done well. Mm. And you, I mean, you shouldn't notice when it's done well. You kind of more likely to notice when it's done badly. Yeah. Um. Uh, um you guys at Cavo would have Tom. Um, one of the chefs run food mm. why did you choose to do that and what do you think it adds because I think it's great I, I, yeah. I loved it when you'd have a chat with the chef just because coming from a but like that's me coming from a hospital background and being yeah. one of those like top one percenters of how interested I am in the food itself mm. like tell us about that I think it people it makes people feel a bit special when the chef comes out for some reason yeah, um, it's kind of old school in a way, though, too, right? Like, isn't I mean, that an it, old thing? Like, it's like I at the end of the night, the chef would come out and shake hands with people well, at the I table. S- I said, you, I said, you, well, yeah, a little bit like 
that kind of part of it, I think, was always a bit more self-congratulatory of the chef. Right. Kind of wanted to go out for the glory at the end of the meal, for people to say, like, oh, my God, it was so good. What we tried to do is, was, <laughs> was for more of a kind of communication point of view. Yeah, I suppose. Um, but, I mean, it used to be, in, in, I mean, again, until fairly recently, restaurants were owned by the, the, the maitre d'. And they were the kind of star of the show, to the point where they, they would even maybe write the menus and they'd employ chefs to cook their menu. It's only actually a fairly recent shift where chef owners have been a thing. Yeah, you've exp- you explained that to me yeah. the other day, and I was like, I didn't even know about yeah. that. Yeah, so it's possibly a thing where customers used to have that, that interaction with the owner on the floor, whereas now look, you know, the chef tends to be in the kitchen. So, I mean, for that, it makes customers feel special. Um, they, they enjoy it. Also, it's as much as you can train your staff, they're not going to be as knowledgeable as the person who's you know cooking the food, knows the menu, knows the suppliers, knows the stories, knows exactly how to how to kind of how to describe yeah. it. Um, especially for us, like we had a mainly casual front of heart, front of house crew, so it's always hard to ask people who are doing one two shifts a week to know this much our staff were really fucking good at that um, and were amazing at learning all our menus and learning all the stories and actually reading the, the probably way too long notes I used to write about the food and wine um, but it can, it can still be difficult to get it across I mean mm. we, we took some quite drastic measures of most restaurants will do a menu tasting they'll do up the, like one dish of each menu of, of the menu and then seven staff pick at it a little bit yeah we started doing that and just realised it was not putting our staff in the customer's uh, seat, literally. So every time we changed the menu, we'd let our staff come in in pairs or on their own um, and eat the whole menu with the matched wines. Really? And, and Tom and I would come out and explain each course well, at and a, each at one. A, for a service? Yeah, yeah, for free. Awesome. On, on a quiet night, obviously, yeah, if that's, we were quiet. That's mad. Um, which I don't really know of too many other places doing, but it made a lot of sense for us that our staff would know the menu, <coughs> be invested in the menu, and, and and just you can't know what a customer feels if you're not even to the point of like when you're sitting down, you are looking at a plate of food differently to the way the chef looks at it on the pass. You're at a different angle, it's different lighting. So if you don't sit down and eat that plate of food in the same place as customers, you don't you can't know what the customer's seeing, tasting, experiencing. Yeah. Um, even things like like the way aromas die down from that time from the kitchen to outside the way like the, the temperature changes so there's so many variables when food leaves the pass that for us it was the only way for us to really you know train our staff and even you know, train ourselves to mm. know what we're doing um, and that made a, you know an intangible difference we felt yeah for sure mm. that's always difficult um, yeah. and I don't know like it's just always so tough and especially in a regional area especially like a place like Wollongong especially where there's so many uni students and stuff like that is that like to be able to try to get staff to invest in what they're doing yeah and not just think of it as a job that they're trying to just make some money so they can get on the piss which yeah. is what they're doing sometimes but not all like not not all the time but just to actually invest it's a tough it's a tough challenge yeah I think the best venues are nice places to work um so then the staff enjoy it there, the staff invest more, the staff will learn more. Obviously, good staff training is good. And, and that, that shows um, kind of across the board, I think. Mm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's, service is a hard one to get right. All right, let's, 
sort of sidestep to other aspects of what makes venues good. Now, we're, like if we're talking about still on restaurants, mm. I reckon like it, it feels like at the moment, particularly with like food culture in say, oh, like in a lot of places, but I like, I, I'm a sucker for a little bit of grandiosity in a, in, a, in a place, like especially if it's a special occasion. Yeah. So like, You've got your, like, neighbourhood restaurants, like, a lot of, like, small and more independent neighbourhood restaurants in a place like Sydney, like, your Esther's and Monopole and, like, like those smaller yeah. smaller spots. And then you've got the larger, more what you'd probably call fancier Fancy. places like Benelong and Aria and, and places that where there's a bit of grandiosity about it. And, yeah. like, for me... I, uh, look, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just that because of a string of good experiences I've had. But like, a place that has, <coughs> like, a place that's like a striking venue. A place that's like a striking venue with a nice view. It it fucking makes a world of difference to me. Actually, hey, I, I really like it. Yeah, like, I think it obviously depends who you kind of dining with and the experience you want. Like, I don't think me and you would go to Aria. No. Like... No, not just just us. Like, that would feel a bit weird. No, But, like, yeah. for a special occasion, for a date... Like, I, I had an amazing experience at Aria last time I went. Um, going again in two days, in fact. Yes. Um, and it was, like... it. I mean... But you, you can't just have... Like, the view there is amazing. The dining room is amazing. But it, it can only actually add if the food, the wine, the service is on point. Yeah, and I think there they really they really do nail it. It's the service is is um, man, this rain's hectic. Yeah, it's really good. I wonder it? how much this is affecting the sound. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we'll find out. Anyway, just keep going. Um, Sorry. Yeah, like everything's on point there. Like, the food's great. The the wine's fantastic. The, all the staff are very knowledgeable. It's very slick. Um, and then to top it off, you'd sit in in this great room, looking at this amazing view. So I think. That can only be the the icing on the cake, like somewhere if it was, it was a great view, um, an amazing dining room, but the food was shit and the wine was shit, it would be a shit experience. Yeah. So it you know it's those little extras and the you know the frustrating thing is it's 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 uh it's not something you can really develop. You either you either have a good view or you don't. Yeah. You, know, you either look at the Harbour Bridge or you look at Kira Street. Yeah. Like, like it's, you can't really fake it. Um. But yeah, when I when well, I want to tell you about when I went to Benelong. I don't yeah. know. I really fucking liked Benelong. Hey, yeah. Like I, it might have just been the occasion and stuff. We went there for my auntie's sixtieth birthday, mm. and we went there as a family, like eight of us or something like that. And I, I don't know. There was just something so cool, like about it. We went there for lunch. The view was amazing. It was just like it just had this sort of feeling of occasion just being yeah. in a place like that yeah. and then also one thing which we can move on to I guess is it was a la carte so it's just like three course a la carte menu mm. and for me that was actually like refreshingly nice yeah, yeah. you know what I mean yeah. to not have to actually tr- like try to pick with the person that you're dining with to share to share it and stuff like that yeah. and also for it not to be a really long tasting, tasting menu. menu with like drawn out descriptions of everything it was mm. just like everyone got three courses everyone chose what they want yeah 
and there was like the odd sharing of a bite of this here or there and stuff like that but it it was like one thing that I missed was like one thing that I enjoyed that I missed was like you like oh what's the how's the uh, marin yeah, or whatever yeah. and they're it like would, oh yeah. this is yeah this what, is what's great. yours like, like oh, I'll give you a little like, bit of mine yeah, exactly. let, me, let me do you a little bit and you, yeah 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 there's something quite nice about it's that. something yeah I, I loved it and you don't get fuck man like I don't know when the like, last time yeah. I had a la carte menu was that, I think like I mean it's a pain in the arm if, if I go to a top restaurant I, I, I want to have the tasting menu yeah like for me as a as a chef, yeah, I want to see what they got and I want to yeah. see the flow of it. And um, but I think like kind of what maybe getting onto is um, is congruency in a venue. Like I want like if I'm going to Aria, if I'm going to Bentley, Ben Long, I want a slick, um, like you know, friendly, approachable, but I still want it to be very professional, very knowledgeable. Yeah. If it's like you know the your cafe, like. You want them to be more chill, like chatty, like you know, because you're gonna make kind of make friends of people. You know, if it's a local bar I go to, I want the staff to be fucking funny, like loud, obnoxious, and just fucking pour me shots. Yeah. Like, but I, like, if actually, funny when I went to the bridge room, just for it won three hats. One of the front of house staff, just he didn't like he was like funny dude, and I kind of like liked him being in hospo but he just kind of didn't the way he talked the way he looked the way he acted just didn't really fit the venue or anything else and it kind of like looking back like you know when you leave a restaurant and you kind of have a little rundown with your partner you went with he was kind of the thing that we spoke about more and it kind of detracted from the food and the wine a bit what was he doing he was just like he was just a bit like brash and like he was like part-time and he used to, I think he used to be a full-time, but he was like, we're like oh, so do you, do you work at like another restaurant or bar? And he's like, nah, work in construction now. <laughs> and, like, and he like knew, knew his stuff about wine. And, and, and like, he just kind of like made some like funny little jokes that, like again, like I was like, fuck, that's pretty funny. But I'm like, maybe that's anyone else here. So maybe he was just reading the table a bit. But <laughs> it just didn't quite fit with the, the style there. Like He would fit in a restaurant that was more chill, a um, bit more kind of... Um, out there and you know but he just it didn't quite fit in with the bridge room which was very corporate slick um, beige restaurant in some ways um, so I think that's important is to you know tailor your and there's actually a lot of places I've been to where um, the, the the service doesn't match the clientele or what they're doing and it can be like that when, when new places open because they think they're going to go one way think they get one customer base and it's hard to choose exactly who your customer base are. So you have to kind of react to that at times. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely like making sure the style of service and the style of food and like the decor, the, you know, the, the timings, make, make sure they all fit together nicely to make it a completely, you know, a fairly seamless um, experience. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Some, like sometimes you can have amazing food that you just can't argue is delicious and you can't put your finger on like anything negative about the service like the service could have been completely good and fine yeah. but you, it's for some reason it's just not a wonderful or memorable like that memorable of an experience yeah if you know what I mean yeah I mean like moving on to kind of food wise the, the biggest thing that 
I see, I find, um, is like the most basic thing. Is literally fucking people not seasoning the food properly. Yeah. Like, and it ha- like it happens like at all levels. I find like from you know cafes to sort of more high end restaurants to to mid price, and it can just like, and the food can be like almost executed perfectly. There's just not that little bit of salt. There's not that squeeze of lemon. There's not that acid, and it just fucks it. Yeah. And, like, especially for me, like, you, it's 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 odd, isn't it? How common it is for food to oh, like, like. I don't know if I like my food saltier than like what correct seasoning might be on some objective yeah. scale. Yeah. But like, it's pretty frequent for me that like I I cra- want more salt. Like yeah. it, when I when I go out, like. I think not all, not all, not actually not not that often, but like it's quite a few times where I'm like looking around for a salt shaker. And I'm like, where's the salt shaker? Like, yeah, I mean, and, and and as you say, at all levels, like, yeah. like the amount of pubs that you go to, and they don't season the chips when you order a schnitty. Yeah. It's that's like, like, what like, that's are you wild? What are you thinking? Yeah, like that's then, a sin. Yeah, like how. Like you just put in sh- yeah, chips. Yeah, I mean, like, might, maybe the split actually, like on the kind of lower to mid mid range restaurants, it's normally like salt, and then a bit higher up, a lot of time it's it's lack of acidity. Yeah, and that that's really key. Like that's kind of it's almost stereotypical. Like or whenever you do up a new dish and you taste it, nine times out of ten, it's it needs more acidity. Um, and that's kind of just repeated throughout high-end kitchens. It always needs more more, more acidity on that. Because that really does, like, really takes that level of food that little bit higher. Yeah. If you get that right. And then, like, a bit higher than that then is, is texture balance in a dish. Like, a lot of time, um, things can just be very one-dimensional te- texturally. Yeah. And, and that kind of just ruins it on your palate. So there's little things like that that happen all the time. And that just comes down, like, and it is tough to, like taste everything that goes out like during a service like you, your fucking mouth gets pretty like yeah just shitty like for three hours of tasting these different things but you like you really have to do it if you want your food to be good um and like a lot of people like i guess i probably notice it more but a lot of people won't won't be able to put their finger on what was wrong with the food they'll just know it wasn't great yeah um, but it's it's interesting like that too because it's like you and I like with experience cooking and whatever it's like when something's bland or something could be better like you, you do what you need to do to adjust it like yeah. even I mean I might be a pain in the ass at a cafe but like I'll often like ask for a, some like a wedge of lemon yeah. at a cafe if I've got like some form of avo toast with like an egg or something with some yeah. smoked salmon or something like that like even like whatever like zucchini fritters or some shit like that it's often that you do, like I'm just like this this is satisfactory but with some nice salt yeah. and a, just a twist of pepper and a little like squeeze of lemon over the plate I've just exponentially improved it yeah and and there's a lot of people that just don't they they just accept that food isn't is is kind of bland like yeah. I, like the, I've been to that many cafes or bars or whatever with people and we've eaten and I'm like what's that like and they're like it's kind of bland I'm like do some shit to it fucking put yeah, some salt on there don't get afraid to, don't be afraid I, to like, ask for shit I'm bad like that they're like I'll I'll like basically never ask for salt or like more salt or like in a restaurant really I think it's because I, I 
probably got like it's because you think that people well, know who you are I mean, not always. Sometimes, no. but like, like if, if it's somewhere local, then like maybe, and then like I probably have a mildly snobby reputation anyway with some people. I don't exacerbate that, um, and I'm just, I'm just and I'm just like, it's just like I like I don't like it when it happens, but in my my ego, I'm like that's because the customer's wrong when they say it's yeah. My that's food. the thing. That's the funny thing. Like having worked in kitchens and stuff like that, I remember distinctly working at a place and I was on the floor mm. and the, and it was this middle-aged woman and I said like how how was that and she goes it was under seasoned and I was like all right and I passed it on to the chef like kind of as you do I said she yeah. said it was under seasoned and he just <laughs> said well that fucking bitch doesn't know what she's talking about <laughs> like which is like what how what percentage of the time is that yeah. the response from the shit yeah like, I mean I think like you just be honest with yourself and it, obviously if you can like taste what they've eaten but this is like maybe what marks out uh, better chefs worse chefs is, is being able to taste objectively rather than subjectively yeah so you know, subjectively would be like that's perfectly seasoned for me but you kind of have to know your palate and gauge your palate against maybe the average and the mean. Because everyone's palate's different. Like, your, the natural salinity level of your saliva makes a difference to how much salt you need. Yeah. So you need to go match or exceed that for actual salt to you know, work, as it were. Mm. Um, so it's very hard to please anyone, everyone. Yeah. Um, but you need to season your food to a way that you think is going to be the kind of the, the best way to please everyone as it were and then stick by that and if someone says it's under seasoned you can kind of confidently say it's not under seasoned it's, it's under seasoned for you that is the level I season at which pleases as many people as possible you can't win everybody but what's the like there's so many places that would not have salt on the table because yeah, we, it's we like a pride would. thing that like we um we season our poo, our food perfectly. Yeah. We season our poo perfectly. We, <laughs> we season our food perfectly. Um, so they don't have salt on the table. But then it's like, well, if you, if we acknowledge that everyone's got a different like spectrum of how yeah. seasoned or how much salt they like on their food, then why don't we just acknowledge that by it's, putting some salt on the table? It's probably it's maybe a kind of um, almost like a statement. By not doing it, being like, we are confident in our food that you should not need salt. Yeah. Um, like, if people ask for salt at Caveau, we'd, you know, we'd fucking... We'd give it to them with, with minimal minimal blast, bluster and fuss in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but, like, that, I mean, it's, it's a very obvious one, but, like, that is probably just the thing that, like, spoils more food and more meals than anything else, really. Yeah. Because, again, totally. if you're not getting the food right, then it's... Mate, you can make... Good. Like... Imagine just like having pasta, plain pasta with unsalted butter on it, yeah. as opposed to plain pasta with yeah. salted butter on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I think, like, and I mean, a lot of time it's, it's almost like frustrating when I, when something's just not seasoned properly, Cause especially if it's like, it's good food, they put a lot of effort, effort into it, it's good ingredients, and then it's just under seasoned, and you're like, oh, fuck, like, if you just seasoned that properly, this would be delicious, this would be really, really good. You've just ask, like fallen. You gotta ask. You gotta ask for the salt. No, I don't ask for 
salt. Can you know, if no, we're going together and I find something under Zeus, I'll be asking for salt. Well, it happened, it happened the other day. between your legs. It happened the other day and I was looking around and you were like, what are you looking for? And I'm like, nothing. And you, <laughs> you were like, are you looking for salt? And I was like, yeah. And you were like, ask for salt. I'm like, no. <laughs> no chance. Yeah, no, man. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I always ask for salt. Mm. Like... Especially if there's a bread at the start. If there's a bread course at the start and they just give you olive oil or they just give you butter, I always like a bit of extra little Dear. flake of salt here and there. It's just yeah. like, fuck, it makes a big difference for me. And I'm, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's, there's that weird thing though, right? That like restaurants should, they're there to serve the people like a lot of the time. And you kind of have to put your ego to one side in some way where it's like, just give the motherfuckers like what they want like maybe to you know like to a level but if people want salt like well I don't know you like have to have it on the table but like no I think like if you if you really if someone is salt and you you, like, you refuse to give them any that that's like a that's an ego trip yeah totally um, but I guess like, probably a lot of chefs don't really understand or know that like people's palates are actually different and at the point like I think the, the coriander thing is always a little bit eye opening that like the people who like really don't like coriander that's actually like a genetic thing yeah. like to a lot of people coriander tastes like soap so like you can't and, coriander and is an odd tasting thing though I think I remember I remember when I first does it taste like soap tried to you? coriander no it's not like I mean I like it but I remember when I first tried coriander it I didn't lo- like like it I don't know like it's something you Did you just eat coriander, or like was it? I don't know, mate. I don't know. I feel like, like I, I can't remember like the first like the first. Is there any food that coriander. you don't like? Um, I don't really like olives much. Really? They just don't do it for me. Like I don't mind them if they're like in something, like used as an ingredient. But like if it's a bowl of olives, <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, nah, I don't really like them. Yeah. Um. Fair enough. What else? There's like, what was the other thing I don't like? Uh, like shitty mushrooms, I don't like. Shitty mushrooms. Yeah, like or like shitty mushrooms cooked wrong. Yeah, okay. Like when they're just like black and lipid and slimy. Yeah, right. Like love a wild mushroom though. Love it. Play, play, love a chanterelle or a morel. Yeah. All all the good ones. A porcini. Man, all good mushrooms. Can you can you get fresh? Chanterelles and morels in Australia. Um, Fresh. Yeah, it's hard. Um, Porcini's grow in South Australia. I've got some from before. I think you can get wild morels here. Because, like, I know that in the states, like, uh, morel foraging's big. It's yeah, like a oh, big thing. Yeah, probably in, in like, Europe too. In the, yeah, in the UK, there's a much larger selection of wild mushroomed easily forageable um, but then on the flip side there's actually more types of native Australian truffle than there are European ones what do you mean native? there's there's native truffles wild truffle wild native Australian truffles where do, where do the wild truffles grow? in the ground where? Um, well they're quite hard to find and, and no one who's managed to track them has found one that's actually worth eating um, right. But there's, so there's they black truffles, or are they just like um, well, I don't know. Like, again, this this is uh, something I read about a while ago. Um, 
there's like thousands of different species of native and they, truffle. And they grow on like eucalypt roots. Um, yeah, or, or, or various tree roots. Native. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I've got too much information. I just know. I just know it. Well, I think you need is. to read up on that, mate. I don't oh, think yeah, you come to. on this podcast and start. Well, there's thousands, there's thousands of different types, and they're obviously un, under they're not researched or actually looked at. But it's just the fact there is. Sounds there like is, there is if there's thousands of different types, some of them. Well, would be exactly. Delicious, yeah, right? yeah. You, you might be able to hit the jackpot with one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, again, like this knowledge like this is going to train some. It's been lost. Train some I pigs. Guess. Well, yeah, but, but you, you have to. You have forest. to. You can't just train a pig to eat to find any truffle. You've got to train him to specifically look out for that truffle what you are your know? thoughts on white versus black truffle um, one time first time I had white truffles my boss because he had never had a white truffle before which is quite surprising because he was a restaurant critic um, spent like 300 pounds like 600 bucks on this little white truffle from Alba where, where they grow and after work one night, he was very excited, and he was like, "What should we do with it?" And we're like, "Let's just keep it simple. Let's just do a little, let's just do a very basic risotto, and we'll just fucking chuck heaps of truffle on it." So me, me and the sous chef spent like you know, clean down, like let's make this for us. We had, had the, the the truffles had been in the rice overnight, had like a stock. So making this risotto, taking our time, taking our time in it. Heaps of truffle in the end, heaps of truffle on top, and then we all sat down and we all sort of started eating it, and we we're all just like. Tastes, tastes like truffle. Pretty mild or what? Just just tasted like truffle, really. Like, yeah. it just wasn't, like, wasn't blow blow us away 600, 600 pounds, $600 worth. Mm. You know, that, that would have been, like, what was it, like, maybe four, five of yeah, us? It's a weird thing. Like, truffles are so weird because, this, like, the smell is stronger. There's a few things out there where the smell yeah. is much stronger than the, the, the flavor, yeah. I think. So, like, I mean, my, my experience with white truffle was it wasn't anything particularly better than, than black truffle yeah right um, um let's move on to let's move on to bars like mm. I mean there's so many different types of bars out there but essentially like what you're trying to do when you go to a bar is have fun right yeah yeah I, I think yeah um but I mean it kind of depends on there's some bars where you your fun's going to come from who you're with and there's some bars where the, the staff can really kind of set the tone that's true for for the for the bar um but i still think like for one like i said like greeting the customer such a simple thing um and the, you know greetings vary but that's just so key and i think like then in like a good bar i definitely want the staff to have knowledge about the drinks like especially mm. if there's, there's a you know something where there's like if a bar's got like 15 different beers like and i'm looking at the menu I, I'm not going to really unless it's something I, I know or I've tried and really like but like so a lot of like little bars around here I'll just be like I want a sour beer and I want them to you know to like you know try them Guide, to, to yeah. know about them to be like we've got this this and this you know this is tasty I, oh, I tried this earlier this is great I'm not sure about this like I want that knowledge from, yeah. the, from the staff and I, I think that's that's key to take your bar to the next level mm. like nothing worse than like like what wines have you got and they're like oh Got, got a red and a white, a couple of different ones. And you're like, right. I think with with bars for me, lighting is yeah so key, and yeah. it's the same for restaurants as well. Yeah. But like, fuck, lighting makes a difference. And yeah. And it's it's funny because like, it, it's almost like there's this like extremely obvious thing right where 
the proprietors either do pay attention to lighting mm. or don't pay attention to lighting. Yeah. And it's an imme- like it's immediately apparent when you walk into a place that's like, oh yep, they've got little lights on the walls over there, they've got like these nice pendants here that are like a warm mm. colour, mm. they're they're dimmed. Um and then conversely, you can have just a place that just has these bright fucking white down lights just yeah. stuck in the jib rock. I think that can also depend on the the fit out of the venue as well. Like some venues uh, take to more you know, brighter lighting. Others don't. Yeah. And they're going to be congruent with it. What like, do you mean? Like what what, well, what sort of a place would you I mean just like the brighter lighting take like, like Throsby for instance if Throsby was really dark it would be a bit weird because the the fit out of the bar where it's very light and airy yeah and then if the wolf was really bright that would be weird because you'd see everything yeah no I know what you mean I feel like I I just mean that like like dark lighting isn't always like no not dark not dark yeah but um yeah I don't know it just makes a huge difference to me I just can't stand basically I just can't stand over lit places and I just feel really just like Jesus. Yeah, I don't think you got. Yeah, I think like little things like yeah, lighting, uh, music levels. Yeah, sat, music is huge. Like, and the, the, I mean, type of music for one. Um, I like. I hate places that play very specific music. Or well, maybe it's just places that play the music I don't like. Because <laughs> if I went somewhere and they just played like old rock or old rhythm blues, I'd be slow. Like, this is sick. But if I go somewhere that's playing fucking house music constantly, I'll be like, that's crap. So maybe it's just the. Then you should play the music that I like. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there, there's, there's, there's safer genres to play. Yeah. Like, Parrot, we don't play anything Well, I think when it comes specific. to bars, it's like, if you've got a DJ... Yeah. Like, even if it's just... They're just mixing, like... doesn't matter. It kind of doesn't matter what they're mixing, but it's someone who's paying attention to the music, and yeah. it's kind of flowing. And what, and what a DJ's job is, is to is to kind of gauge the vibe of yeah. the, like of the of the yeah. patrons and and sort of adjust accordingly yeah, and, and stuff i feel like that makes like, like, such yeah, a big tempo difference. and the, yeah. the the vibe of it like when we did the with Cavo, we i wanted to play good music for one yep um it's a good but, good start yeah um cuz it used to play bad music so but i kind of want to do like kind of um like old rhythm and blues some solely stuff some modern things and I was gonna, and it all had to be very even. Like a, a track couldn't have like a suddenly kind of jump out loud guitar solo. Yeah. Because that would just be very apparent when trying to eat. So I had to like took fucking ages, and I had to like like basically do a playlist from scratch. And I just had to like keep. Well, see, some songs I knew I got quite like that fitted, but a lot of times I just had to like scroll through stuff, listen to basically the whole track, just to see if it was like evenly pitched the whole way. Yeah. Okay. So so it wouldn't just like have this kind of this jolt to the customers. <laughs> um, and that was quite Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it was quite it was quite a big thing. And like, and we did get some. It's funny, it died off very quickly. We did, did get some complaints about the music, like people being like, "Oh, you shouldn't play this music in this venue." And it was like, like what, "What were you playing?" Like, uh, like it was just some some slightly like um, it, the, the playlist hardly changed. Like we took a couple of things off that didn't maybe just stood out a little bit. But um, yeah, people just had this very like specific thought of what Caveau was and what music we should be playing and like would try and tell us what music to play and then after like a couple months we never heard never had another complaint again it was really weird we just scared all them off (laughs) Um, but yeah like yeah sound level I mean and then like the actual sound like 
some bars like some bars sound good when it's just like it's a good sound of people talking other times it can just be so overpowering that you can't really hear the people yeah, next to well, you yeah well that goes for restaurants as well I yeah, think that yeah. like attention to noise suppression yeah like can be a big one I, there's nothing worse and like I, I think like a lot of owners out there probably recognize when their venue is too loud um, and it's like an echoey space but it's an expensive investment sometimes too to yeah. dampen noise like I mean, to suppress noise and especially with I mean it's less fashionable now but for a little while the the kind of fashion for restaurant fit out was very industrial stark open rooms and that did not do well with um you know noise suppression no um, yeah. and that was just the way things were like you know, these, you know the kind of the opened up ducts that like taking the ceiling up um it's very hard to control noise then without kind of soft furnishings which weren't cool <laughs> yeah um like there's there quite a lot of um uh, tech things you can do and companies you can go to but they can be expensive yeah and it's just but yeah there it is I remember recently going out for dinner and the person that I was with like they just had the shit because it was too loud mm. and like it was annoying I, I think I read might be wrong but um aubergine in Canberra when yeah. they did a f they refitted a couple of years ago and yeah. They, they reopened off the fit out and they realized they'd kind of just messed up the or hadn't thought of or messed up the, the, the noise in there and hadn't put enough um, noise dampening in um, so then they put this actually like really beautiful um, what's such a word for it fucking like draped linen is that what no, you're talking no. about like, um, the, are you talking about the wall or the they, they put all this stuff in the scene what's like a word for like noise dampening I feel like there's actual um yeah reverberation echo what, what's the actual I don't know I'm trying to think I feel like there's a better word we gotta keep on skirting around it um, anyway they so they I think they acknowledged that in a, I feel like they acknowledged it on Instagram post and they actually put this like really beautiful um, noise dampening sound dampening stuff on the roof which yeah. actually became like it actually looks like really well done yeah they, so they put like a they hung material yeah, it, it looks like, like an like, art installation yeah yeah, yeah exactly it's like yeah. this hanging material yeah and, and actually, I think the, the dining room probably looks better for it. So yeah, there's yeah. obviously ways of doing it, doing it better. Um, but it definitely, it's it's owner operators who spend time in the venue and think and look and try everything. Like we we spend a lot of time configuring our table layout and working out what size tables we could fit for each kind of spot in the dining room and ways we could maximize space. Um, even like the heights of the table and like heights of seats and things like when we were ever planning anything actually like sitting in that space and working out if that works yeah um, okay, and, right. like, and to like quite minute details really like sometimes we'd just be arguing over like the smallest little detail whether it's aesthetic or um, like the wording we'll use on a menu um, like like when we were opening was opening or redoing the menu for Parrot Tom and I were at like at Cavo to like 4am and we just and we'd like worked like a 16 hour shift already and we just ended up having a 40 minute conversation of how to put like 
we recommend you have these like this many dishes yeah because I, I, I'm always a little bit like shitty with like that kind of thing like how do we would it and we just had this like very long conversation and it probably didn't matter but like the fact that we did that with almost anything made a difference like it all added up because we would look at these like tiny little details well that's what like kind of it's 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 interesting because it's like that's the story of running a successful business right is Mm. like it's such a low margin enterprise yeah that you have to put every single chip in your corner in as best as you possibly can to try to maximize the the experience that people have yeah. and their and their potential to spread their experience via word of mouth yeah. or, or to return themselves. Yeah, exactly. And as much as it sounds like it's frivolous to have a forty minute conversation about the way you word one sentence on your menu, yeah. it's like all of those little one percenters, point five percenters, well, yeah. and things like that and are just so important. Almost like when occasionally we would we would do this and we, we'd know we're having a fucking like this really wasn't like really wasn't going to make a tangible difference at all but it was just the way we did things so there was no way of us not having that about that wording because that's yeah. just the way we all done things we, if we started if we didn't have that um, that thought process about everything then um, the, the things it did make a difference to we wouldn't have done them either mm. does that make sense probably worded that a bit weird <laughs> so a 40 minute conversation about how I could do it better well I mean, I feel like this is a good start. You can keep going down this road for ages, but basically what we're talking about is the small things that make venues good. And mm. I hope that I'm I hope that everyone got something out of it, right? What do you reckon? Do you reckon they did? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like <laughs> Yeah, it's just that there's so many small little things. And like and again, I think the thing being is that you, you especially people who aren't in hospitality, you won't yeah. You won't notice them when they're done. But you'll you'll notice that something's not not quite right when they're not done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of the the key, and that's that's you know good owner operators look at those little tiny things, and make things better. Um, kind of like when we were chatting to the the Marys guys about how they spend a lot of time on the things that really matter, mm. and then don't give a fuck about the things that don't matter. Um, and I think that makes a difference in, in their experience and why they're successful, and mm-hmm. generally why people like that are, are successful yeah cool alright mm. thanks Simon let's leave it there yeah well I'm home now so <laughs> natural end the end thanks Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.